today on It's Time. First of all, when you are saved by the Spirit of God, He saves you for a reason. We're not saved to set. We're saved to be mobile. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are His voice. I hear the calling. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And where this comes in is where Moses is there at the burning bush and God is speaking to it. To and through it. And so we're going to pick the story up where we left off last week. Next week, of course, is the 4th of July. I guess we'll all have an opportunity to burn our state down. So uh, anyhow, we want to let you know we've got church here. It'll be good. So we just want to see what we'll all do together here next week. So I think you'll enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would now come. And by your Holy Spirit, these words were written. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, they would go into our hearts and we would understand more about you, that we would understand your ways and how you direct us in Jesus' name. And so now, may you come and cause your word to come alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses is out on the backside of the wilderness. By this time, he's about 80 years old. 40 years, he was Pharaoh's daughter's son. And as he would go around, and one day he decided to just go out and check on his brethren, the children of Israel, because you remember he was floated in a little boat. Pharaoh's daughter saw him, said, I'll take him in as one of my own. And so we remember that as he grew up in the best of schools, best of food, 40 years into his, into his life, he decides to go out and check out his fellow brethren. Sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. And when no one was looking, Moses thought, he killed him and buried him in the sand. Well, the next day, there was a fight between two Hebrews. Moses stops by in his chariot with in-saddle cassette deck and white walls and lowered and full hydraulics. He had the best. And he drives up and he says, hey, brethren, what are you fighting about each other? They go, well, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses goes, oh, no, I've been found out. So Moses goes back to his room, packs his things, and hightails it out of Egypt to the backside of the wilderness to a place called Midian. There for 40 years, he was out just tending sheep. He meets a girl named Zephora, marries her, has a couple of sons. And so one day he's out 
tending the flock, and there's a burning bush. And the bush just continues to burn. It burns and it burns and it burns, but it doesn't burn up. Moses goes, hey, that's something you don't see every day. In fact, the Bible even says, hey, that's something you don't see every day. It actually says that. He was, he was amazed that the bush continued to burn, but it didn't consume itself. So he goes, hey, I think I'm going to check that out. So he goes over, he gets closer, closer, closer to the bush, and all of a sudden the bush talks to him. Not George Bush. The bush talks to him and says, take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground. And so Moses does this, and all of a sudden God begins to speak to him out of the bush what his great commission would be in his life. Now, we talked about this last week. First of all, when you are saved by the Spirit of God, he saves you for a reason. For a reason. We're not saved to set. We're saved to be mobile. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice. Now, again, that's why we need to know what God's word says. So when we speak, we'll be speaking what God says. But here's the point. We're saved for a reason. Moses was called out by God for a reason. And there on the backside of the wilderness where no one was else around, God unfolds to Moses the great plan that he was going to use him to set the children of Israel free from the slavery of Egypt. And God begins to unfold the plan. Now, as we continue here in Exodus 4, this is where the story continues. Now, if I was going to title this chapter, I would say it's the chapter of excuses. (laughs) Because you'll find a lot of them Moses offered. Some justified, some not justified. Some questions, good. Some questions, no. Let's look. Then, like I always tell people, whenever you find a wherefore in the Bible or a then, you want to find out what preface that word. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose the children of Israel literally will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What are you going to do then? Now, first of all, I want to share something with all of you. You're saved for a reason. When God begins to unfold his plan, remember, the plan will always be bigger than you. Otherwise, you wouldn't need God, would you? But the plan for God for your life is bigger than you are. But that's okay because you have a miracle working God. This is what God does. And what would seem to be impossible... God makes possible. So as we look at this, the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod or literally a staff. Now, interestingly enough, in the Bible, the rods were used for different things from whacking, you know, predators away from the sheep to a symbol of authority. A king oftentimes will have a rod as they sit on their throne. They'll have a rod. It is interesting that King David said in the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod. What would that mean? Well, God's ability to protect us, God's ability of authority, David said, and his staff comfort me. What's a staff? The staff was a thing that hooks around on the end. Sheep would start getting out of line. 
the, ma- the shepherd would reach around the, the, the sheep's neck and pull him back into line. David said, God's ability to hook me by the neck, pull me back in line, comforts me. God's authority, power, and to whack off my enemies and keep them away, the Bible says that gave him comfort. God said to Moses, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. First of all, I think we need to look at something here. God is preparing Moses for a great endeavor. But what God says is, what is in your hand? God uses what we have to accomplish his work. Always remember that. Remember, Jesus, it was getting late in the evening, and Jesus is teaching the multitudes, and he said, send them away, uh, uh, give them something to eat, it's late. And he said, give them something to eat. And the disciples said, we don't have anything here. We just have a few loaves and a few fish that a little boy and mom packed him a sack lunch. What did God do with the loaves and fishes? He multiplied them and fed the multitudes. God uses what we have. A lot of times that's an excuse that we'll say, well, God, I'll serve you when I get a new car. I'll serve you when I buy a school bus, Uh, you know, truck them all into church. You know, God, I'll I'll serve you when I get married. Oh, yes. God, I'll serve you when I get divorced. God, I'll serve. And we have all the excuses. What's in your hand right now? Do you realize what you have in your hand with God's anointing is enough? I like that. All you need is God's blessing in your life. So God tells Moses, take an inventory. What do you have? Now, I believe this is where thankfulness comes in. We oftentimes talk about it on the last week of November, Thanksgiving time. But for a Christian, Thanksgiving is every day. Here's why. Because Thanksgiving requires us to take an inventory of what we have. God, thank you for my shoes. Thank you for my sight. Thank you for this. Thank you for whatever it might be. But when we're thankful, we are continually taking an inventory of what we have, realizing God says, what do you have? That's what I will use. I like that. So we look and see, okay, God, what do I have? What can be utilized for your kingdom? What's in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran away from it. Evidently, it was real enough that it freaked him out. And he goes, whoa, I'm out of here. The Lord spoke to him again. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So he reached out and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. I look at this as restoration. It was a rod. It became a snake became a rod again. That's what restoration does. You have a nice antique car. It was once junk. It's gone through a process. It's now nice again. That's restoration. That's how God does. One of the hands of God in our lives, in his calling, is to restore. Remember that. The Bible says he'll restore the years the canker worm has eaten. You ever had a canker worm at you? You ever had the devil trying to destroy what God's put in your life? Before you were a Christian, have you, have, have you had a lot of fun with the canker worms? <laughs> That's what they do. Man, they come in and they start chomping. 
And the devil knows how to weaken you, destroy you. But God says he restores the years the cankerworm has eaten. So the first thing we find here is restoration. And I like that about God because God has a way of making all things new in our life. And by the way, friends, the one thing you'll find out in your life is, is you need a restore. And we want to be restored. Again, I've, I've heard this so many times. That's what movies are all about. Everything is nice and normal, and then some meanie comes along and wrecks it all. And so then you need a Superman or a Hulk or an Arnold to come along and fix it and restore it and make it back the way it was. Well, the thing is, restoration is within the soul of man, but only God really knows how to restore us. And so it says, grab it by the hand, and he became uh, a rod in his hand that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. He took it out. Behold, it was leprous like snow. The word leprous uh, has a lot of wide range meaning, like we use the word today, cancer, has a lot of wide range meaning. But he put his hand in his, in his, under his he pulls it out, and it's probably full of boils and super funk all over. And, goes, Whoa. and he says, put it back in. He puts it back in, pulls it out. It's perfect again. God of healing. First, God of restoration. Second, God of healing. By the way, every one of us, this, we, we need to be healed. We, we do. That's why I always look forward to communion. Because many years I was raised in the church. I accept the Lord when I was very young. I was used to it. You know, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, you know, you're around saw blades all the time. You don't, oh yeah, just the saw blade. I'm used to that. Until you put your thumb, like I did this week, in a bandsaw. That hurt. Jim was down at my house when I did that. And I I said, "I, I think I did something really bad. And he looks at it and he goes, yeah, you did something really bad. Blood's running down my arm. But familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes, like as an example, in communion, we just go, oh, the blood of Jesus shed for us for our sins and the bread. I don't really know what the bread's for, but it's there with it. I guess it's part of the meal. But very clearly, Peter says, by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus holds up the bed, breaks it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. By his stripes, Peter says, we are healed. Do you realize how badly we need to be healed? Our memories, our thoughts, our ability to love, our ability to be loved, all those things are all composite in us, and they need to be touched by the hand of God. So not only is God a God of restoration, making the the rod a serpent and then a rod again, but that he was diseased when he pulled his hand out, And put it back in, and it's healed. So we have a God that not only restores, but a God who heals. Friends, we need to be healed. And I'll tell you, we all have broken hearts. You know, know, I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life. I've been busted up. I've I've been smashed in car wrecks and all kinds of stuff. But nothing hurts more than a broken heart. Amen? Where it feels like a million ton fist is standing on your chest. You see, God, in his great love, heals and restores. So, put your hand in your bosom again, verse 7. 
So he put his hand in his bosom and drew it out, and behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it will be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Now you begin to find a pattern here that God begins to reveal to Moses a little about what is awaiting him in the days to come. I don't think if God would have said, hey, Moses, listen, well, I'm going to commission you for this. You're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And and here, listen to this. You're going to have the entire Egyptian army at your back, the Red Sea in front of you, mountains on either side. Moses would have said, see ya. You know what God does is he does that so we realize the only way out is up. And that's exactly what God did. Well, look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since have you spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can't talk good. This, again, is the chapter of excuses, because the first time he says, but what if they don't listen to me? Now he says, I can't talk good. Really, Moses? Is this from your perspective or from God's perspective? If you have your Bible, and I'm just going to, you don't have to turn over, but I'll tell you. If you go to Acts chapter 7, this is where Stephen is telling the Sanhedrin that's about to stone him to death, gives him a Bible lesson. This is found in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. I'll just read this. He is describing Moses to them. He says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and in deed. Wow. So Moses saw himself much differently than others saw him. Oh man, friends, think about that for a minute. God saw Moses differently than Moses saw himself. Now, here's a question for you. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself through the eyes of God, or do you see yourself through the eyes of looking in a mirror? Because I can guarantee you, God looks at you much differently than you look at yourself. Remember in the Bible, you have a guy named Gideon. And Gideon was in a hole hiding from the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were ravaging bands of of, of people. And what they would do is they'd wait till harvest when all the grain was brought in. And then they would come in like an army, steal all their grain and head back off into the wilderness. So Gideon is in a wine press. The Bible and wine press was a hole in the ground. And he was down there throwing the wheat up in the air. Big hoop with leather stretched across it. And the idea is as you'd throw the grain up, the the chaff would be blown away and the heavier grain would come back down. And you'd do this many, many times until finally the chaff would be gone and you'd have pure grain. You could make your bread. 
And the Bible says he was in a wine press. Now that means there wasn't a lot of wind. I could just see all the stack, the chaff sticking to him. And in the fall of the year, it's hot and he's throwing the grain up in the air. All the chaff is in the air, sticking to him. He's breathing. It's in his eyes. And an angel appears to him and says, oh, thou mighty man of valor. Really? Who are you talking to here? God saw Gideon differently than he saw himself. In fact, when God began to unveil his plan for him, he said, I am the least of my father's household. We see ourselves differently than God sees us. And so one of the things when we read God's word, it endeavors to do is give us God's perspective of who we are, not what we think of ourselves, or here's what's even worse, what your spouse thinks of you, your friends think of you, uh, what society thinks of you, your school thinks of you, your fellow workers think of you. It's how God sees you. God sees you as a winner. Now, this isn't motivational speaking, friends. This is God's word. God sees you as a winner. Do you see yourself that way today? Do you see yourself as somebody that says, with my blessing in your life, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Understand how God works in us. Moses said, I can't, I can't talk good. Really, Moses, 40 years ago, you were considered mighty in all that you could do. Now, 80, 40 years later, now you're eight. By the way, he's 80 years old when all this is being read. Now, here's another excuse. Well, God, you know, I'm getting old. Just give me a big cushy chair, bag of Doritos. I'm good. God says, you're just getting started. You know, I've always heard, there's an old saying, about the time a minister retires is when I want to hear what they've got to say. Because a lot of the idealism is gone. The reality of what is really going on is, is, is there in the Bible for us. And so he says, <clears throat> I'm a person slow of speech, slow of tongue. Well, you weren't 40 years ago, Moses. You weren't then. So God then begins to show Moses who he is. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? By the way, when you look at the Bible, you look at, well, Moses, how could Moses not believe God? How, how could he not believe God? I mean, the burning bush, all these things going on. How could he not believe God? And then I think God put a verse in here for you and me the same way. A lot of people try to fault God because of this verse here in Exodus chapter 4. Let's read it again. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who has made the mute? Or the deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have I not the Lord? What kind of a God would make a baby blind? What kind of a God would make a baby deaf? Or cystic fibrosis? Or or cancer, or something else. See, I can look and say, oh, you know, what's wrong with you, Moses? Why didn't you just understand God? So God put this verse, I think, in here for all the readers to say, you got to get around this. Now, what does that mean? Well, all I can tell you is this. If If you can recognize God's hand in this, you'll have no trouble with the rest of the Bible. Because people say, well, how could a God of love do these things? I don't know. I don't know. 
But I know that in God's divine hand, in God's divine will, he allows things to happen for not only that individual, but for others as well. Sometimes I wonder in my own life, people that have been mean to me, people that have been mean to you, that God didn't allow those things to happen to you only so that down the road someday in eternity, God may judge them for the very things they did to you. When they say, well, look, I'm not such a bad person. God says, play the tape. And we're all conspiring against you and they're all doing these kinds of things. God says, oh, you're not so bad. I'm not so sure that God doesn't do those things. Though it was so hurtful at the time, God may use that down the road. I'm not sure. But I know that God is God, and I know God will do that. The Bible says, I am, I am the Lord, I make us rich, I make poor. Wow, I thought it was my faith words. No, sorry, not. God says he does that. Why? I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. It doesn't matter. I, I, I really like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, when they wouldn't bow down and worship the fire, the, 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 the statue that he made. And he said, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Heat it up seven times hotter than it's ever been. Are you going to worship the statue or not? And, and will your God deliver you from the fiery furnace? And I like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, whether God delivers us from your fiery furnace or not, we're not going to worship your statue. I like that. It don't matter if God does or doesn't. We're not worshiping your dumb statue. Friends, that's boldness. That's what God honors. And he put him in the fiery furnace, and they were walking around in there with Jesus, the Bible tells us. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.